it's a culture of exclusion rather than a culture of inclusion. And I think we need to maximize the culture of inclusion. We need to dial up as hard as we can because we need to bring more people into the space. Like the transition to Web3 is more difficult than the transition to like the internet in the beginning when like you're using AOL dial up, you know, and you're like, what is this, the internet? Oh, we have chat rooms, you know, like uh, it's, it's more of like a shift in mindset in like UX. And so the barrier to entry is big and we need to be including people as much as possible and collaborating to learn from each other because uh, this technology is hard. And so the thing I'm most excited about is just like the collaboration um, across Bitcoin and Ethereum about opening Bitcoin up and introducing new use cases, because I ultimately believe if we don't go down this path that we may never reach mass adoption. Welcome to the NFT Now podcast your go-to source to succeed in the fast-moving world of Web3. I'm Matt Medved. Each week, we interview visionary creators, builders, and collectors, so you can stay up to date on the most important trends and tactics for the internet's next frontier. GM, everyone, welcome back to the NFT Now podcast. I'm Matt Medved, and today's guest is Trevor Owens, the CEO of Ninja Alerts, an app for NFT trading alerts, and GP at Bitcoin Frontier Fund. He is also the host of our Not Financial Advice Twitter space every Tuesday and Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, which has become one of the best places to keep up on the Bitcoin Ordinals ecosystem. Trevor has also emerged as the leading voice in the movement. Whenever a new ecosystem launches, it can be a bit overwhelming, especially when it's developing at the rapid pace of ordinals. Fear not, because I'm looking forward to diving in with Trevor to give you an overview of everything you need to know about NFTs on Bitcoin and the innovation that Vitalik Buterin recently said is bringing builder culture back to the OG blockchain. Before we do, I want to encourage you to sign up for our weekly newsletter if you haven't already at nftnow.com newsletter. Each week, we distill everything happening in the space into actionable insights straight to your inbox. Without any further ado, let's talk Bitcoin ordinals with Trevor Owens. Trevor, how are we doing? T.O. in the house, live from Puerto Rico. What's going on? GM, Matt, great to, great to be on the pod here. Excited for this. I'm excited for this too. Like, I'm ready to talk ordinals. I got my orange t-shirt. As I was saying, this is the only orange shirt I own. You know, I, I almost always, <laughs> always only wear black. Uh, this is like a Carmelo Anthony era Syracuse shirt. Um, but I'm here representing. That's awesome, man. You know, orange is addicting, dude. Like, you know, you, uh, I just went to the, the local store. All the colors of Gatorade, orange, no thought. You know what I'm saying? My phone case, orange. Just starts to creep up on you and take over once you, uh, once you get bit by the bug. There it is. And not only do we have Bitcoin orange represented, but we got some pizza as well. I think yours looks a lot better than mine. You know, mine, <laughs> I had to make mine quick in the air fryer. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, we'll get we'll get it all into that. But let's dive in. Um, T.O., give us give us the brief background. How did you get into the space? Yeah, so um, I've been a founder um, for a decade um, and a developer working in Web2 space gone to Bitcoin in 2013, but I was more bullish on like the blockchain technology uh, than necessarily like um, the the coin itself. Um, and I'm a very like to the ground, um, you know, uh, go to market is like where I specialize in. So I spent, you know, a decade coaching founders in the lean startup methodology, uh, worked with Eric Reese. Like if you look in the, the thank you section, paragraph five, I think it is, you'll see uh, somebody's name in there at the book. And um 
you know, the uh, I think that the space took a long time to mature. And so it was, wasn't really until 2021 where I was like the tipping point where I saw MetaMask, OpenSea, Uniswap, et cetera. And I was like, all right, uh, technology that I always thought was promising that I wasn't sure like when it was going to reach maturity is like now here full force. And I um, had known the, um, the, the founders of Stacks for like a long time. I was one of the first advisors for them. And so I hit them up. Um, they had just launched Stacks 2.0 and they uh, uh, wanted me to run the ecosystem venture fund for them. And so I raised a, a small fund of $4 million, um, And now we, we did a second close for about a $6, 7000000 million fund now. And we've made uh, 50 investments um, across the Bitcoin ecosystem. I'm also an angel investor and in a bunch of different startups like NFT Now and, uh, you know, on the ETH side as well. And so, um, yeah, I'm just like a founder, entrepreneur, developer, and I spent a lot of time, you know, working with zero to one companies. And now I do that uh, professionally at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund. You know, we kind of rebranded from just a focus on stacks and now more broadly on ordinals. And I'm also the CEO of Ninja Alerts, which is a... Ethereum analytics trading tool for NFT enjoyers, giving you the best push notifications and alerts when things happen on the blockchain. So living in, living in both the, the continued life as a builder and also as an investor. Love to see it. And there's a lot to, to unpack there. But let's get into ordinals. It's been amazing to watch like just the the growth of that ecosystem in such a short amount of time. And I know you've been really on the front lines there. Um, shout out to the Not Financial Advice crew, uh, that Twitter space that we host uh, with you on uh, uh, every uh, Tuesday and Thursday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Let's go. It's been, it's been great. Um, but I, I really feel like that's become one of the, the best places to learn about the Ordinals ecosystem. I know I've learned a lot. And I think a lot of people are still trying to wrap their heads around this. So I'd love to dive into Ordinals. And like, let's just take it from top. Like, how would you describe Bitcoin Ordinals to your grandmother? Yeah, well, my grandmother, that'd be tough because she might not <laughs> know about NFTs. You know, um, I would I would describe it to my grandmother as a way to record data permanently um, in any form. And so and also a way that makes um, a certificate of authentication similar to NFTs uh, for that data to track ownership on Bitcoin. And so I think the really innovative thing about ordinals is that um, all of the data is on chain and it's actually much more expensive, uh, inexpensive than than having a smart contract, which, you know, is important for a chain like Bitcoin, where it is very expensive uh, and block space is limited. And so, yeah, it's just a, a way you can record any type of media um, and you can also uh, actually build uh, new kinds of applications, new kinds of Web3 applications that are also different from how uh, Ethereum uh, applications are structured. And that leads to some interesting use cases, some interesting ergonomics that actually make decentralized coordination a little bit easier. So, you know, we're seeing things that people had tried to do on Ethereum that I think are objectively good ideas that may have been limited by this, the structure of having smart contracts and having a Solidity um, EVM that now by just inscribing the raw data uh, actually is a little bit easier. And that's kind of the fascinating thing. So, yeah, it's been amazing to see, you know, essentially like inscriptions of media, whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's a photo, whether it's a meme, whether it's a, a, a PFP project, whether it's music, et cetera, uh, d directly on the Bitco on Bitcoin, um, which wasn't possible before. So, like, how, how did we get here and, and why do you think this is so transformative? Yeah, so um, we got here, I, I would say, kind of by accident. So 2017, 
uh, SegWit was introduced, which was a upgrade to Bitcoin that created this thing called the uh, segregated witness, uh, you know, which is what SegWit stands for. And in the witness area of the transaction, you can fit like uh, a normal Bitcoin block is like one megabyte uh, limit. But in that area, you can fit up to an additional like uh, uh, three megabytes. So in total, now you can have four megabytes per block. And in addition, that area of the inscription is actually discounted by 75% because, uh, you know, that uh, that space, like it still it still ends up fitting one megabyte within the Bitcoin block. But since it's a total of four, 75% is like one megabyte. So the data is actually stored differently than the rest of the transaction. And so it kind of opened up this, um, uh, this avenue for uh, really inexpensive permanent data storage in a way that like if you actually do the math in terms of like how much it would cost you to run, a, have a Dropbox account for life and run or run an Amazon Web Services server for life, like there's no way you can get data storage this cheap in a, in a, in a permanent way. And then there's an amazing uh, Bitcoin dev named Casey Rodemore, who was uh, a contributor to Bitcoin Core over the years. And he's considered like one of the top um, Bitcoin developers in the world. And he was working on this project for like two years. And the interesting thing is that Casey is a very unique individual. And so um, he's the type of person where he is like born from the Bitcoin, you know, community in terms of like he fits in with a lot of the laser eye community, some of the maximalists that we that we always like to kind of dunk on. Um, and so he's kind of like uh, not someone where you had this culture on Bitcoin that they would kind of dismiss everything coming from Ethereum or they would dismiss a lot of builders saying, oh, you're not from Bitcoin. This is a guy like, you know, the, the perfect martyr is what I would call him. But then he had the kind of like he was always like an instigator. So he had the kind of creativity to like want to want to like try something and break the rules, but also the the development skills and the very deep understanding of how Bitcoin works, and a, and a knowledge of like a lot of leading edge technologies that even me as a as a VC for two years, who's like kind of on the leading edge of this stuff, was not aware of. That it was like the the perfect storm of like this was the guy to do this. And so he spent like two years working on ordinals and inscriptions, ordinals referring to ordinal theory, which is the way that we actually turn Bitcoin or piece of Bitcoin Satoshis into non-fungible tokens that are trackable and tradable throughout the, uh, the, throughout the blockchain. And then um, adding into the inscription element, he, was, he also like deployed a very simple MVP, so many factors, like little details that matter. Uh, January 20th this year, it just took off like a rocket. And I think that there was like a, uh, it was also the perfect timing. So it was like perfect person to launch it, perfect timing. We were just coming back from like FTX and that cascade. And we were kind of like at a lull in the market um, in Web3. Something that uh, basically violated all the narratives that we have in the space that like you you can't do this stuff on Bitcoin L1. And now, um, and like the, the laser eyes trying to like kind of stop it, like they always try to stop everything. But then you had, you know, Udi Wertheimer dropping a four megabyte Bitcoin block, which was like the largest Bitcoin block ever done. And when this came in, I think the real reason why it succeeded among the Bitcoin community where other innovations have, have failed or have been attacked by like the, the um, immune system, so to say, of the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin maxi community was because that ordinals actually not only are a cool use case for a lot of users and like actually are different than how NFTs work on Ethereum in a way that provides a unique value proposition, but it 
increase the fees on Bitcoin. And so when you actually have two people and you know they're kind of fighting for moral authority in Bitcoin, it's like whoever pays is like the is like in the position of superior, you know, moral authority. It's like, okay, well, if, if you don't like it, you should you should pay more, right? Like paying directly to the miners is contributing to the Bitcoin, the security of Bitcoin. Uh, eventually, the, um, the the security subsidy on Bitcoin is going to be gone, and it will need to survive the security budget generated by fees. But historically, fees have been so low on Bitcoin that it's been an open-ended question of like, how are we going to make sure Bitcoin is viable in the long term from a, from a people paying enough uh, to support the security and decentralization of Bitcoin? And Ornals kind of came in and provided that answer. And so while many of the, the uh, immune system and Maxis tried to kind of like cancel it, it only made it stronger. Like it only made it more successful. And, and, we, ha- and um, you know, we have had hundreds of developers pour into the space. We've had a ton of infrastructure like marketplaces, wallets, and uh, explorers and other tools uh, developed that just didn't exist, you know, four months ago. And it happened at a, a lightning, you know, rapid pace, which was just like incredible to be a part of. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot to get into there. Um, for those who maybe don't know, maybe some of our listeners who aren't as deep in, in crypto, um, wh- who are the laser eyes? What are the maxis? And, and why was this so controversial? Yeah, so, um, you know, Bitcoin, um, like... A lot of the reason why people get into Bitcoin is because it's a very like libertarian ideal. It's like we're separating money from the state. Like we're ending, you know, we're giving people more freedom. We're ending authoritarianism. And so the Bitcoiners, especially like the hardliners, tend to be like way more serious. You know, like they tend to be like, this is an, this is an existential crisis. You know, like we have to uh, free, you know, the people and se- separate money from the state. And so... Um, and Bitcoin has also had this this culture war dating back to like the 2017 2018 uh, block size wars, where essentially um, the the community split into two. Right, Bitcoin split into Bitcoin BTC, and then there was Bitcoin Cash, and later BSV. And these were like the debates over do we change the base layer or not. And so people have always viewed Bitcoin as a form of money, whereas I think uh, Ethereum initially started as a utility as a gas token, right? That this is just a, a currency just to pay for the network fees, but but we're, but it, it's structured a little bit more like a a stock or a decentralized stock or a a company in the sense that like there's a foundation, there's a um, you know uh, consensus which to, which was an early you know part of that whole ecosystem that spun out many of the key uh, technologies like MetaMask and Infura and Etherscan, and so there's been a more kind of centralized um, approach. Whereas in Bitcoin, you have Satoshi Nakamoto. No one knows who he is. He's gone. There's no leader. There's literally a vacuum in, 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 in Bitcoin. And so since the 2017-2018 phase, there's been kind of like a uh, negativity towards builders. There's been especially negativity towards everything happening off of Bitcoin. So like, you know, the, the fundamentalist maximalists, I mean, we know there's tribalism and like what we call bag bias in the space, where, you know, different communities, because they hold a certain asset, you know, are fighting with each other. And you'll see that just as a natural evolution of human psychology. But in the Bitcoin ecosystem, um, there's a little more seriousness to it. There's a little more belief in, hey, this is like, um, you know, we, we shouldn't change anything about Bitcoin, because if we change it, that's going to actually ruin the properties of Bitcoin as a money. 
because they call it sound money because it doesn't change and you can count on it. And Bitcoin is designed to be very limited in functionality because that limited functionality means the attack surface for hacks and exploits is very low. And so Bitcoin has kind of had like a hostile attitude towards developers. Uh, I personally experienced it for a very long time being the Stacks ecosystems, you know, trying to build an L2 slash sidechain on Bitcoin. And um, so like when this came in, you know, previously the, the Bitcoin maxis kind of act almost like gatekeepers. And, you know, they they always say like, um, uh, like, you know, we don't like shitcoin. They call Ethereum people like shitcoiners and NFT people like shitcoiners, right? Um, and I think a part of that, like, detachment from uh, what, what, like, has been happening in the NFT space and that kind of, like, overreaction is caused by the fact that the stuff wasn't happening on Bitcoin and that they didn't understand it and that they didn't, like, experience it because I was also skeptical of NFTs until I actually started buying and participating. But I think it's also because, you know, it's like... Um, the not invented here bias. It's like, I see this in corporate innovation all the time. You know, large companies who are failing to innovate, they look at a startup who's crushing it and they're like, oh, but we could do it better. Or like, that's, you know, that's not going to be successful. And history just shows like all of the the disruption of, uh, of Silicon Valley and how startups, you know, come up and look like a toy and then disrupt big companies. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of factors, but essentially it became like a dogma in the Bitcoin community. And ordinals kind of like uh, came in and the maxis tried to fight it, but they couldn't because, again, it not only did it have a, a moral uh, superiority in terms of actually solving a problem and actually like paying fees, um, but it also kind of like, um, I would say, like showed the emperor is wearing new clothes. And I think it was actually a signal to developers and other ecosystems that things are going to change here and that you're welcome to build on Bitcoin. Because previously, a lot of developers would be interested in Bitcoin. They'd be like, this is too much effort for me. You know, I just want to build the product. I don't want to have to deal with like people harassing me and asking me questions and, you know, uh, literally like making my life more difficult on Twitter. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the laser eyes are quite vocal on Twitter, um, you know, and and, uh, and their podcast, uh, which I know is a part of the part of the joke as well. Um, so let's let's so here's the thing. Like, I think whenever there's some a new and exciting ecosystem, people, people are always intrigued about it. But I think there's a perceived barrier to entry. It's like people don't know how to get started. It's like, you know, where do I go? You know, Bitcoin is great, but like, you know, I'm used to buying NFTs on ETH. Like, so how would someone get started with Bitcoin ordinals? Yeah, so um, the first step would be to get a Bitcoin web wallet similar to MetaMask. Uh, the most popular one right now is Xverse. I'm an investor. You can also uh, check out Hero, which is an investor in my fund and Unisat. Those are the top top three. Um, they offer a, a few different um, things, but they're pretty similar. And then, you know, there's there's multiple marketplaces. So there's Magic Eden, there's Gamma, there's uh, Ordinal's Wallet, OrdSwap. And um, like, yeah, I think like go and get an Ordinal or or inscribe. In fact, you can you can one of the one of the coolest things about Ordinals is that you don't need to launch a smart contract to make an Ordinal, right? So the whole system is like easier than any like OpenSea storefront. Like it's just you go to websites like Ordinals Bot. Some of the wallets have their own um, inscription service embedded in them, like Xverse and Unisat. And you can just drag and drop a folder. Uh, sorry, dra- drag and drop a file like a JPEG, uh, an MP3. People have put games. People put, have put games directly on Ordinals. Like uh, one of the first, 
I think 500 inscriptions was a uh, was Doom, the game Doom on uh, on Ordinals. You just drag and drop a file, and you just pay a Bitcoin fee, and boom, it's it's like forever recorded on Bitcoin. As long as Bitcoin survives, it's going to be there, and it's hosted across all of the nodes on the Bitcoin network. That's dope. So, you know, I know that there have been quite already some notable projects that have launched. Um, you know, it, it, there's obviously some some notable inscriptions as well. Like, what are like the ordinals projects that, you know, the the layman should be aware of or the newcomer to the space should should have on their radar? Yeah, so definitely, I mean, one of the first notable ones I think was uh Bitcoin D Gods, BTC D Gods. That was a very successful uh, mint where what was originally a popular community on Solana that moved to Ethereum and Polygon uh, and uh, inscribed a percentage of their um, their ordinals, uh, uh, sorry, a percentage of their art onto Bitcoin. There's a lot of um, projects under like the like the 1K. There's kind of this pattern of like the lower the number, like the the earlier a little bit the more attractive. So there's um, uh, Ord Rocks, which was actually like Ether Rocks just moved and inscribed on on Bitcoin. There's Ord Punks, which was a which was using some of the traits of CryptoPunks, but some other traits as well, and uh, algorithm to make uh, a bunch of like CryptoPunk like uh, PFPs sub uh, sub one thousand. Um, I have a colleague named Grace Ng who has a uh, collection called Diamond Fingers, which is sub ten k, which is like these like three D middle fingers uh, that say like you can't censor my transactions and NFTs are fun. Um, there's uh, Ordinal Maxi Business is like one of the most recently successful uh, and hyped projects. There's OnChain Monkey, um, which is a really good one. Uh, there's so many. There's there's Megapunks from Megapunk, which is a really well known project on from the Stacks ecosystem that did Ordinals. And of course, we're doing uh, we're doing our own project here for Ninja Alerts, which is uh, 1,500 uh, Ninja PFPs inscribed on uh, rare pizza sats. So there's 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 a lot going on. I think. Um, Definitely, the the pace of projects is not like Ethereum, though. You know, you you have um, a higher barrier to entry because majority of the time, the uh, the 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 cost of like putting your the the ordinals on the blockchain is is bored uh, is held by the project creator. So on Ethereum, usually you just launch the smart contract, and that is probably like around an ETH. But then all of the people who mint, they pay the, the cost of gas to mint the NFT. On ordinals, it's the opposite. The creator has to do um, all of the inscribing. And so you have a bit of a higher barrier to entry, which I think means that you see a lot less kind of like low effort projects launched on, uh, on ordinals. We do have our share too, but just like from a scale perspective, there's like, you know, a dozen projects launched every single day on Ethereum and there's like, you know, derivative after derivative after derivative, but on on uh, on ordinals is kind of like a little more, um, uh, a little less all over the place. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's talk about rare sats. Like, what are they? I know we recently talked about them in an NFA space. I think it's super interesting as somebody who appreciates the history of the blockchain. But uh, for those who don't know, what 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 is a rare sat? Yeah. So. Um, one of the things about how ordinals works differently than Ethereum is that it's using ordinal theory, right? And so ordinal theory is a way to assign a serial number to every single piece of Bitcoin that's ever been created. And so what you can do is actually we've created this kind of like this backwards history because for every um, Ethereum NFT, like you can see in OpenSea or these other platforms, like oh, this NFT was actually held by Matt or this NFT was held by Gary V or yeah, so-and-so, right? 
Yeah. So you can see like who the previous holders were. But for Bitcoin, it's inscribed on Satoshi that already has 10, uh, you know, 13, 14 years of history uh, behind it. Right. And so you actually have the serial number based on when the block was mined. And um, then like you can trace the history of it from the beginning to now. And so we have um, Satoshis or we have these, these ordinals that are on Satoshis that were actually held by Satoshi Nakamoto or were part of the first Bitcoin transaction where Satoshi sent 10 Bitcoin to Hal Finney, the first person to um, outside of Satoshi to start working on Bitcoin and to receive Bitcoin. And so we have this like rich history of like, I would almost compare it to like, you know, going to a corner street on New York City and, you know, going with someone who's a historian who can tell you in this building on this corner in New York City, this person lived there. You know, like if you walk around like Chinatown, New York City and you take a tour, they're like Sun Yatsen had an apartment in this building. This was the person who actually started, uh, you know, the idea of uh, China becoming a nation that led to you know, the fall of the Qing dynasty, you know, it's like, that's the kind of history that you have on these Satoshis, which literally could already be in your wallet. And so, um, those, those kind of Satoshis, um, are not the, um, like there's kind of like a whole universe of things here. Those are like called the exotic sats where it's like, there's a story behind it. There's a history behind it. There's also vintage sats, which just happen to be ones that were mined in the first 1000 blocks. So those can be from like 2009, uh, maybe early 2010. And then there's something called um, what, we, what we refer to now as uh, the Rodimore rare sat. So this is a, a rarity index that Casey created. And so the way the Rodimore rarity works is that the, um, the first Satoshi in every block and then the first Satoshi in every key event on Bitcoin uh, has a certain level of rarity. It's evenly distributed throughout time. So you can think of it like you know, uh, a lot of people call Bitcoin a time chain. And the, the, the reference is because Bitcoin is actually really good at syncing state across many different computers, which means that it's similar to like the, the problem of like syncing time. Like every computer is held, holds the same state of like we're on this block. And so people refer to sometimes like the block number as like what, whatever time that we're on. And so you can think of every block as like a second on a clock, right? And so an uncommon sat, which is uh, a common sat is like any sat, uncommon sat is the first sat of every new block, which happens like every second, right? Uh, it doesn't happen every second, but like as an analogy, it actually happens every 10 minutes. But as a, an analogy of like a, uh, an analog clock with like a, a, second, a second hand, you can then move to from the um, uncommon sats to rare sats, which actually happen every uh, two weeks during what's called the difficulty adjustment. That would be like the minute hand of the clock, where it's like the first sat in that difficulty adjustment is considered a rare sat. And then you have from there, you have um, an epic sat. An epic sat is the first sat of a halving. So the halving happens every four years on Bitcoin. That's where um, the, the reward in terms of Bitcoin uh, decreases by 50% every four years. And it's kind of like a celebrated event in Bitcoin because it, tends, it actually decreases the supply of new Bitcoin coming onto the market. And so we have traditionally seen like big price increases in Bitcoin during the halving. And it, it could also just be uh, unrelated to the halving, but more like cyclical in terms of how 
markets work, right? Yeah. And it's, then it's, it's like deflationary and it's also kind of, or it's like, you know, it feels it has deflationary pressure because it's like there's less supply. And also it's like changes the narrative, right? It like and it, it tends to like help shift things a little more bullish. It's like it's like Christmas, you know, it's like yeah. people you get Bitcoin ready for Christmas. the ho- <laughs> you get ready for the holidays. It's like you gotta buy gifts for everybody. You see like the economy boosts a little bit. And then um there's two other levels. There's so that's the um that's the epic sats. And then there's legendary sats, which happen every 24 years, which is uh, uh, a cycle uh, in time. And then there's also, and then the the final sat, the mythic sat, which is only one of, uh, is the first sat that was ever made on Bitcoin, which is unspendable. So it can never be, uh, it can be never be found. Where um, is it? So, is it is it in Satoshi's wallet or? Actually, I don't know where it is, <laughs> but the first block is unspendable, so yeah. like no one can ever get it, and so. The this kind of rarity model has these different sats spread evenly throughout time, basically, because even when we get to, you know, the beginning of Bitcoin was like 50 Bitcoin per block. Only the first one was an uncommon one. Now it's 6.25 BTC per block. Still, only the first one is an uncommon one. So these are spread uh, throughout time and they kind of fit into this uh, very clever rarity model. And the um, the thing to think about, the, the analogy that... Um, uh, someone said was like, uh, if you were to take 75 Olympic sized swimming pools and fill them full of pennies, that's how many Satoshis that we have right now. And among, and among those for the, um, the rare Satoshis, I believe it is like 349 or something like that would be, um, would be rare Satoshis. Actually, let me, I, let me double check something to get the numbers right, but. It wow. goes, it, it's, it's, you know, there's actually going to be a total of, because every Bitcoin has 100 million Satoshis. So there's going to be um, 2.1 quadrillion Satoshis by the end of all the Bitcoin being released. But when it comes to the, uh, the rare sats, there's, um, you know, like there's going to be only 7 million uncommon. Yeah, no, I, I was right. So the total supply of the rare ones is, is going to be three, around 3,400. And for the current supply of rares, it's only, it's only 369. So, you know, fill an Olympic, 75 Olympic-sized swimming pools full of pennies, 369 of those pennies are rare Satoshis, according to the, 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 rarity, the, the rare designation on the Casey Rodimer rare uh, index. There it is. There it is. And so the Bitcoin ordinals, the pizza ninjas, the project that that you're that you're launching with with, uh, with Ninja Alerts, right? Um, that is built on rare satoshis from the Bitcoin pizza transaction. Tell us a little bit about, about the project and and what's and what's up there. Yeah, definitely. So I think the the cool thing about um, rare sats, and I'm saying rare sats as like a, the umbrella term for the whole space, including exotic and vintage is that it allows you to, to do more creative storytelling, right? And so uh, project creators, artists, et cetera, are now able to combine like the medium or the paper with which they're doing their art on, the Satoshi, with the art or the story of the art that they're trying to do. And so pizza sats, I think, are not as rare as, as the uncommon or rare sats. There's actually a... Uh, there's 10,000 Bitcoin, which means there's a trillion pizza sats out there. However, uh, it's a very historic transaction. The It goes back to the first uh, Bitcoin, uh, verified Bitcoin transaction ever to buy anything um, 
which is also the first physical item. There's some debate about actually maybe a uh, someone paying for an, a JPEG actually before that, but it hasn't been verified. Um, and where um, uh, a guy named Lazlo was online in the Bitcoin talk forums and he paid somebody 10,000 Bitcoin for two Papa John pizzas. And so, you know, looking back at like how much that's worth right now, right? Like uh, 10,000 Bitcoin, 30K, Buyers remorse. Buyers you're remorse, like 300, so. <laughs> 300 million dollars, you know, for two pizzas. I, I and hope so, that pizza was better than better yeah. than, uh, than this one right here. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of like a holiday every year in the Bitcoin community, the day when that transaction happened. And, um, you know, for people who want to get rare sats, it's like a really good entry rare sat to get. And so I'm a big fan of pizza. Um, and, and, you know, gr- like for me, it's like, you know, uh, Christmas morning, you know, opening presents. That was like the one day a year to look forward to like most. But then it was like birthday party. You had to have pizza and pizza nights. Right. It was like just a part of my childhood. I think it's like and if you even go if you even go back to like the history of civilization, you look into things like a lot of historians say bread is like the most important like invention in human history in terms of like how it formed the basis of like societal construction of families. Uh, like people use the term breaking bread for like reconciliation and peace. And so with an NFT project, I think the most important thing that you want to do is try to create meaningful experiences that can bond together your community. And so identifying like a mission and like having something that's like uh, a theme or something to tie people together and I think pizza is like the most like a food that's like universally loved across all cultures, like everywhere in the world. And I think it fundamentally represents like community. And so, you know, we are we are ninja alerts. And like I was thinking ninja alerts and pizza sats. And then, of course, the next thing you think of is like Ninja Turtles. And like I look back at my childhood, I like grew up in the 90s. So like the Ninja Turtles, like uh, one, two and three were like the, the hottest movie in like 1992. Um, and you know, there was like a super Nintendo game turtles in time, which is like in every single arcade. And so we just kind of like went down this path to try and create a, um, a unique project, um, with some amazing art that could bring together our community and also signify the launch of Ninja alerts on ordinals and on Bitcoin. So that was kind of really the goal is like on Ninja alerts, we provide some of the best um, NFT analytics and alerts for Ethereum. And of course we want to move into ordinals. And so we decided to do this project to, um, help curate our community, help get the word out. And we've been, we've been, uh, asking people to make these videos online on Twitter where they will record themselves, uh, eating pizza, wearing a ninja costume. And, uh, this is like a, a a hat tip to like, uh, Udi Wertheimer who did this with Taproot Wizards. Uh, you know, but we put this out there and I wasn't expect. I didn't know what the response reaction was going to be. We got a ton, like ton of people, like I'm getting videos every single day. Uh, and it's just been like a super fun experience. And I'm, and I think that it was really important to do because now we, we know who the people are that actually care about the project, right? One of the worst things you can do with any project is launch a project. And like the way you actually try to distribute the, the, the opportunity to participate to those early holders, is like one of the most important decisions that you have. And being able to just like select the people who care the most, I think is going to be the longest, the the most important sign of like long-term health for a project. Yeah, no, I love that. It's been fun to see all the engagement around that um, and uh, excited to see uh, what comes of that uh, project. When is it launching? Uh, We haven't announced a date yet, but we're targeting like, you know, end of the month slash beginning next month. So 
it is. There it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, this is obviously super exciting for, for the Bitcoin uh, community. You know, one of the things that, you know, we, we've talked about a bit is, you know, I, I got into crypto through Bitcoin back in 2013. And, you know, I've always really believed in in the principles behind it, the decentralization um, and like, you know, this idea of, of having an alternative to the centralized financial system. Um you know, uh, there uh, we talked a little bit about you know the the maxis critiques and all that, but like you know there are some people who say like, well, why Bitcoin, right? Why 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 put this on Bitcoin? You know, even aside from like the that, it's like you know there's there's NFTs on ETH, there's NFTs on these other uh, other platforms. Like why why do you think that like it's important that 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 the, that we'd be building this on Bitcoin? Um, and and you know I actually just saw uh, Vitalik recently just this week said that that Bitcoin but that that Ordinals was actually like bringing back builder culture to Bitcoin so that that's pretty interesting and exciting to see too so I'm just curious to get your thoughts like what like why Bitcoin? Yeah, I think I think there's so many reasons you know, and I'll I'll just give um a few of them. I think that one of the things is that Ordinals took a different direction from NFTs and Ethereum. Like um, Casey Rodemer likes to refer to Ordinals as digital artifacts. And he says that some, um, all digital artifacts are NFTs, but not all NFTs are digital artifacts. And so the concept is that, again, it's about being fully on-chain where all the data is stored in one network. And so for those who are familiar with the underpinnings of NFTs, you'll know that the majority of them host their media on IPFS, which is a separate system from Ethereum, meaning that there is an external dependency. And so you have data in two different places, but in order for it to be a digital artifact, the condition is that all of the data is in one place and also that it can't be, um, it's a complete bare asset. So what that means is that you can't have any type of smart contract that would limit the ability for the person holding it to control it. Whereas we know in Ethereum, like the flexibility allows you to do unlimited things, which is also a positive. So these are really just merely trade-offs, right? Where on Ethereum, you can actually code functions that would allow me to uh, for you to mint my NFT and then for me to move it out of your wallet through the smart contract if I wrote a different transfer function. On ordinals, like it's not possible at all and it will never be possible. And all of the data is in one place. And so that was kind of like a very, um, like I would say, um, like highly levered decision or it's like, it's like a very, like it's, it's more like a Phillips head screwdriver than it is a Swiss army knife. You know what I mean? Like an NFT smart contract is kind of like a Swiss army knife. It can do so many things. This is like a Phillips head screwdriver. You can just do one thing and it does a very, a very important thing. And so um, it serves a new use case, which is why one of the reasons why it's important is that there will be users and companies out there that we want to onboard into the space where ordinals will solve the problem better for them that might bring them into the space where NFTs might not, right? I think the second thing is that, is just that it's Bitcoin. Like it's, 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 it's Bitcoin. It's the, the most liquidity in the market. It is the, um, uh, the largest user base in the market. And it gives credit to the NFT industry. Like here we have, you know, the majority of the capital in the space where, you know, I think Bitcoin dominance right now is like 45%, meaning the capital on Bitcoin is 45% of the entire space who maybe otherwise dismissed or wasn't even paying attention to NFTs. Now, uh, non-fungible assets are in their backyard. And not only that, it's solving the problem of fees on Bitcoin, making Bitcoin more sustainable. And now you have a, a big onboarding opportunity within our, within the, just within the entire, within the crypto space, that's now going to open up more possibilities for the NFT space. And so, I think those will be the uh, the two main reasons that like it solves a new problem and also that it, it's going to onboard 
a ton of new people. Like we saw Michael Saylor, for example, you know, praising ordinals, someone who previously, you know, been dismissive NFTs who came on board, you know, hate him, love him or hate him. But he's but now he's he's one of us. You know, it won't be long before we see him with a, a cartoon, you know, PFP on Twitter. <laughs> there it is. Um, no, no, I love love that. And, you know, it, even in my own experience, it's been really exciting to see a lot. Like a lot of people came into NFT. A lot of people got into crypto, like through NFTs, right? And so, especially from the creative space, a lot of people bought their first crypto to buy an NFT, and they don't necessarily like a lot. And for most of them, that was on Ethereum, right? And so. For a lot of them, it's like this whole new generation of, of market entrants who are kind of rediscovering Bitcoin for the first time, which is which is pretty cool, you know. As, as someone who who you know believes in it and and you know thinks that that it obviously set the stage for this entire new ecosystem that that we're uh, that we're all building within. A hundred percent, and it, and I think it increases collaboration across two communities, which were previously more divided due to tribalism, due to bag bias. In a time when we really need to come together, because we're seeing, you know, the the administration of the U.S. government really coming hard against the whole space, against exchanges, against um, you know Bitcoin mining, um, against you know different new innovative blockchains, you know, saying that they're securities. And it's a time where, if we really believe in this space, we need to work together. Like we're not we're not you know we're trying to grow. We're maybe on different teams, but we're we're still playing the same sport, and we want to grow the sport to as many people as possible. So I think the idea that we can come together and we can support each other across different ecosystems and also learn from one another um, is probably one of the best outcomes of, of Ordinals. Yeah. And, and look, it's been amazing, you know, to see just how fast things have developed, right? Like, you know, it seems like every day there's a new protocol or a new platform or a new uh, project or, or some new technological development within the ordinal space. Um, you know, one that comes to mind that I remember got a lot of buzz was BRC20. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit about what that is? And also if there are other like developments or things that are, that are like happening in the space you think that we should have our eyes on? Yeah, totally. So I think it's important for people to understand that um, one of the things about Ordinals is it's not just NFTs on Bitcoin. It's actually a new paradigm of application development on Bitcoin. And so it's the idea of using this arbitrary uh, uh, storage or like using the storage to put any type of information and then um, being able to index it through node software. So there, so in order to run ordinals, what you're doing is you're actually installing like another app onto the Bitcoin node that's that's just applying the ordinal theory. So ordinal theory, the serialization of the of the ordinals is a separate dependency from Bitcoin, but it's actually a very low risk one. And it's one that doesn't need as much uh, like decentralization because there's very little to disagree on. Right. So. The more like the more like the, the the riskier the disagreement or like the more incentive to disagree or the more difficulty of agreeing, the more decentralization you need and the more guarantees you need to make sure that there's no bad actors. So like if you're just talking about like mo- like pure money, if you're talking billions of dollars, like you need a lot of guarantees that no one is like acting dishonestly, right? For for ordinals, it's just so simple, and all it's doing is like assigning a serial number that um, it's fairly low risk to um, add it on top of Bitcoin or to bootstrap it separately from Bitcoin. And so this idea has been carried over to other use cases to kind of create what is, um, you know, the 20, I say the 2080 rule 
you know, the 20% that gives you 80% of smart contracts, essentially. And we say like smart contracts implemented as node software, as opposed to on-chain logic. And so with BRC20s, um, the insight was like that you could just, like when you, when you send a, a transaction to Ethereum, let's say you, you know, um, like buy a, uh, a fungible token, you buy some Pepe or something like that, right? Or you, um, you sell some Pepe. What you're doing is you're just like recording data on, Ethereum, on an Ethereum block. It's literally just like a text that's put on the Ethereum block, right? But what's happening is that that text is then going through the EVM virtual machine, the Ethereum virtual machine, through the coding language that's then um, taking that data and then updating your account balance with how many of Pepe coin you have. And so with BRC20s, they essentially did the same thing, but they put the uh, the way of counting and tracking as an indexer separate from Bitcoin. And so it's kind of like a, instead of like a full Turing complete programming language, it's kind of like a, you know, again, one, one purpose tool for fungible tokens. And so you can take this whole paradigm and you can extend it like into any direction where if you want to have a, uh, a ledger, as long as, as long as it's like simple enough to count, the risk may be low enough that it's viable. And I think that this was the real narrative violation is like that um, for certain use cases, you can do it in a way where the risk of disagreement may be low enough that it could be viable. And all you need to do is be able to record the data immutably on Bitcoin. And so BRC20s, I think, are still like pushing the envelope in terms of like how far will this like indexer model without like because the thing is the indexers don't talk to each other like nodes. It's just like you have you have a counting system, I have a counting system, and then we compare, right? And then different wallets can like um, check all of them to see like, hey, what's Mac, what's Matt's count, what's Trevor's count? But you and I are not reconciling our differences like like a system of nodes would, like a blockchain would. Um, and so it's a new paradigm application development where you can do all types of things other than just non-fungible tokens. We've seen uh, fungible tokens, you know, meme coins. We're seeing um, uh, like game assets being issued. We're seeing domain names. Um, we're also going to see uh, what I'm calling like decentralized front-end applications. So if you, one of the cool things about, um, about uh, ordinals and inscriptions is that you can upload any data very easily. You just put it on there and, and it's, it's like there. It, can't be, it can like almost never be taken down, right? I, it, never, it never can be taken down. It could probably be taken down like on, the, on some of the explorers one by one, but anyone who has a Bitcoin node has that data. And so the idea of decentralized front-end applications is like we know on Ethereum, Tornado Cash, for example, you can't take down the smart contract, but we know that governments have gone to the different internet service providers and had the front end be taken down, right? Because that's a centralized point of failure, like the tornado.cash website, right? With inscriptions now, you can just upload that HTML onto Bitcoin, and then people can go to any explorer and communicate with even a smart contract on Ethereum in a way that can't be censored. And so these are some of like the interesting things that like... Uh, people have considered doing on Ethereum, but didn't quite match with the ergonomics of how the the virtual environment is constructed. But with ordinals, it's like so dumb simple and so different that new uh, use cases are being discovered. That's awesome. You know, I know there's a lot of innovation in the space. Like um, what, what sort of excites you the most about the future of ordinals? 
Man, what a what a that's a that's an interesting question, tough question. I would say, yeah, I would say like really just for me, it's like the cultural change. It's like you know, um, I think that again, any type of dogma or maximalism is just is just not good. It's not good for growing any space. You know, a lot of the maximalism is like more interested in it in itself than it is interested in Bitcoin, right? A lot of the maximalists, it's like kind of like a superiority complex. It's a culture of exclusion rather than a culture of inclusion. And I think we need to maximize the culture of inclusion. We need to dial up as hard as we can because we need to bring more people into the space. Like the transition to Web3 is more difficult than the transition to like the internet in the beginning when like you're using AOL dial up, you know, and you're like, what is this, the internet? Oh, we have chat rooms, you know, like uh, it's, it's more of like a shift in mindset in like UX and so the barrier to entry is big and we need to be including people as much as possible and collaborating to learn from each other because uh, this technology is hard. And so the thing I'm most excited about is just like the collaboration um, across Bitcoin and Ethereum about opening Bitcoin up and introducing new use cases, because I ultimately believe if we don't go down this path that we may never reach mass adoption. I think that the money use case only has product market fit. If you have all these other use cases on top of it that give people a reason to use Bitcoin multiple times per day, essentially what Larry Page calls the toothbrush test, where he says that uh, a new disruptive product that's used multiple times per day has the highest chance of reaching mass adoption, where, you know, literally like a toothbrush. And so Bitcoin traditionally has been about hodling and like never, you know, never using it, never sending it. Now with Ordinals, we're creating a digital economy on Bitcoin where people are actually pricing things in Bitcoin where people are thinking in terms of Bitcoin as a digital currency on the internet first before we go into the real world. And now we're unlocking DeFi, we're unlocking um, you know, other types of NFT use cases where people are actually putting uh, music on ordinals where like people have always talked about Ethereum like using stems and then constructing them into songs on Ethereum. And that's been something that's like had a lot of complexity due to smart contracts. Actually on ordinals, it's 10, it's 10 times simpler. And so we're already seeing people mix music uh, in this way. Like the the uh, like we we need every advantage that we can get. And I think that you know we have we have Ethereum. It's like we have the Air Force and the Navy now. You know, working together in this battle to onboard uh, the masses to this new space. Boom! Super exciting times. Um, what's next for you and Ninja Alerts? I know that there's the V3. Tell us a little bit about uh, everything on that front. Yeah, totally. So. Um, Ninjaler started uh, in the fall of 2021 when um, I was tired of being addicted to trading NFTs because of all the time that it, it took up and having, you know, uh, I have I have like the, the Samsung G9 monitor, which is like the super ultra widescreen 49 inch monitor. And that monitor would be would be full when I'm trading NFTs. Like it would be packed in terms of like Ether scan like the, the, the exact time, Discord, Twitter, everything, just to follow what's going on. And Ninja Alerts came out of solving my own problem of, of being like the simplest thing was, hey, I know who some of the best traders are. And, you know, why can't I just follow what they're, what they're trading directly and get push notifications whenever something happens? Why can't I subscribe to a smart contract? I know with the NFT that's going to launch, why can't I just subscribe to the smart contract? Tell me when the minting starts. Tell me when they're going to reveal things. And so this is, this is how it started. Um, we were able to onboard a large community of users on Ethereum. Uh, you know, it's a, very addic- it's a very useful product. Like it solved the problem for me. It allowed me to like have more balance in my life in terms of like when I got into NFT trading because I was making a lot of money and like got, I got addicted to it. 
I like stopped going out of the of like my apartment. Like I was like my apartment was like dark. It was like I didn't clean in a while. You know, I didn't shower. Like I was like so addicted and like so uh, needing to stay on top of the market that I lost like that balance. And so with Ninja Alerts, like that's kind of the goal is like through the the web app and mobile app, we try to give people um, an easier way to stay on top of the market. And we just launched version three, which is like a massive upgrade in terms of our data pipeline performance in terms of the functionality. Um, we launched a real-time leaderboard of like who the top wallets are in terms of what um, profits and flips they're making. And um, we're now, now we're going into ordinals. So, you know, we want to make it um, like in ordinals, there's still like a, not a lot of tooling. And I think the first phase of developers that came to the space have now like very long roadmaps, like they've kind of like solidified into their direction and there's still like a lot of white space and opportunities for more builders. And if we can make the tooling better in terms of giving people better data, giving them better understanding of what's happening on Bitcoin and that the other traders are doing, I think that will be useful to a lot of people. Very excited to see it. Um, we have our rapid fire segment, Bullish or Bearish. Let's get into it. I know we, we chatted a little bit about this earlier in the week. Bullish or bearish, blur. Dude, I don't want to be, I, you know, you know, you know, I'm definitely uh, bearish, you know, and I, I think that, um, yeah, I think, I think it, I think people should really like, who knows what's going to happen, but people should definitely be aware of what's happening over there with the farming incentives and kind of the risk of what's going to happen to not only the space, but to the blur token holders when the, uh, if, and when the season two airdrop is concluded, like there could be some real, some real risk there, unfortunately. No, I think there's there's a lot to unpack there, um, and it, we've done some coverage on on the site as well. And but you know, I'm was... I'm bullish on the tooling though. But I'm yeah. I'm definitely farming super super concerned about the the token. You know, right? Uh, bullish or bearish? Uh, Instagram threads. Oh man, I think I think I think bearish as well. You know, you're 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 giving me all the things I'm bearish about first. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if the trend continues. Uh, bullish or bearish ETHscriptions? I would say I would say uh, I'm also bearish, but I was, you know, I, I thought it was like a pure derivative at first, but actually there's a lot of, uh, like there's actually a lot of use to it on, on Ethereum. Like we saw with ETHscriptions that the, um, the cost of like making NFTs on ETHscriptions is like 80% lower than with a smart contract. I just don't think that there's enough of a development community or that building up that development community because it's such a different approach in terms of how you develop applications. I will be hard to catch on, I think. But I think it's like an amazing effort and maybe it'll unlock some really useful use cases or some useful use cases that can tie into the existing paradigm on Ethereum. So actually, I would say I'm more, uh, I'm slightly bullish on it, I'd say. <laughs> There it is. Last one. Last one. Bullish or bearish? Magic Eden. Definitely bullish, man. Definitely, definitely bullish. They're um, they're doing a great job. They're they're doubling down on Bitcoin. Um, just great team, great community, and um, yeah, super bullish. It is. Trevor, always a pleasure. Great conversation. I think this will help a lot of people understand uh, the Ordinals ecosystem a bit better. And uh, yeah, excited to excited to speak again soon. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Great time. 
Love that conversation. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there about everything going on in the Bitcoin ordinal ecosystem. I thought Trevor did a great job giving us an overview of the innovations that are taking place, the conversations that are happening, and new elements like BRC20 and Rare Sats that are driving a lot of conversation and uh, and new projects as well. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, I got into the crypto space through Bitcoin in 2013, and it's incredibly exciting to see a whole new generation of users rediscovering. Uh, the, the original blockchain and uh, really looking forward to seeing how uh, the community over there continues to develop and grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd encourage you to tune into our Not Financial Advice Twitter space every Tuesday and Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on the NFT Now Twitter account co-hosted with Trevor and Ninja Alerts. It's the place to go to keep up on what's happening in the markets and also the Bitcoin Ordinals ecosystem. It's a great crew, vibes are on point, and there's a lot of valuable insights to be gleaned from it each week. Thanks so much for tuning in again, and we will catch you next week on the NFT Now podcast.